All right. So this morning we're gonna um, we're gonna be in Matthew chapter five, verses twenty-seven through thirty-two. That's what we're gonna we're gonna review. I'm not saying we're gonna do all of it. We'll probably just get the first two done. But these two things go together seamlessly. It's hard to do one without doing the other. Honestly, um, so pray for pray for everybody who's not able to be here, guys. Those that are sick. There's a lot of people. Pray for Miss Mary. Talk to her this weekend. Pray for Aunt Vivian. The ladies are going to go to her house this evening that want to go meet at my house at 4.15, and they're going to go over and have class at her house because she, she needs some, some folks there with her. Um, we bow your heads. Father, we thank you again for yet another day, God, another time to be in your word. God, help us to understand what your word what your word says, Father, and once we do, God, uh, let us understand that you've given us the ability to do exactly what you've asked us to do. That, Father, it's not in ourselves, but it's in the spirit that you've given us. Father, so that we, we don't want to be hypocritical with your word, God, not in our the way that we speak it or the way that we live it. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This is a very hard, uh, I don't really like teaching this because I struggle with this so much. And it's all 100% my fault because of the life I lived before I was a saved man. Um, lust is the worstest thing ever. Lust is horrible. The, the difference between we, we envy, we're envious for things and we want things, and we lust for things, we desire for things, and most things, if we do that, like let's say eating, you can only eat so much and you're going to throw up. Right. I mean, there's only so much that you can do when it comes to a lot of sins, if you want to say. But this is one that it's insatiable. It's an insatiable appetite that you can fulfill time after time, multiple times in a day. And that's the problem. You you think about it. A man can eat if you're eating three, three meals a day and you overeat. You only eat so much you're going to throw up. But you can, you can have a sexual encounter with a person every single day for years that's not even the person you're married to. You can sire 50, 60, 70 kids in a year. It's an insatiable thing. you got to think about it like that. That's one thing that you, it's never enough. Understand. And whatever you're watching, whatever you're viewing, whatever it is, it's never going to be enough. Because it has to be a little more debaucherous. It's got to be a little, a little more filthy and terrible to fulfill that lust. Because that lust, sexual desire, that lust, you cannot quench it. Only the Spirit of God can. You cannot suppress that. It's just a reality. And that's what makes it. Because I've read a lot of stuff and I've, over the last. And that's listening to every author that's talked about it. That's what they've said of all the. The terrible sins that we think about, gluttony, you know, the seven terrible sins. This one is the one that gets more people, especially in the ministry and in the church, than any sin there is. Because we were created, there are certain things that we were created. We were created to breathe air, so we have to have it. We were created to eat, so we have to have it. We were created to procreate. What did God tell them to do? Go out and multiply and make more. But we as believers, have to keep that under subjection. And that is extremely hard. So what makes this so hard is before marriage, there's chastity. After marriage, there's fidelity. I mean, it sounds simple, but if you're not saved, it is extremely hard. It is extremely hard for a saved person, for a lot of people to do this. And it's just, it's, annoy it's an annoyance.
but it's something that we have to pray about. Something we have to give it to the Lord and believe that He's the one who's going to take care of it. So 527 through 32, we'll read it as one whole passage. You have heard that it was said you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks on a woman with what? With lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So last time that I was able to teach, we learned that if I'm angry, true anger with someone, it's the same thing as murder. Physical murder. So this time we're learning if I lust after someone, it's the same thing as already having sex with them. All right. If your right eye makes you stumble, tear it out and throw it from you. For it is better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. Now, we, we know we talked about this last time the same way with anger. That's not what God really means. Jesus isn't saying, hey, the first, if you sin with, with whatever, you need to chop that part of your body off. That's not what he literally means. He actually means you're supposed to die to yourself. Then that's the thing that we struggle with the most is dying to self. Because why? We have insatiable desires that we ourselves, we can't stop. You can't stop it. You think you can, and you might for a month, two months, three months, but it's coming back. It's coming back. And that, and But here's the thing. When that time comes, because it's always going to come back, what are you going to do in that moment? That Because that's the defining thing. That's where the, the fidelity part comes in. Are you going to stay true not to your spouse? Because you sin against God. Understand that. You're not sinning against each other. You're sinning against God. With the exception of this, because it actually says when I sin with an, I cause that person to sin too. Do you see that? That's why infidelity, however you want to say it, adultery as it is, fornication as it is, it's a two-way sin. If I overeat, I sin against God. You don't. Now, if I weigh 1,000, 1,200 pounds and you keep bringing me food, you're sinning too. But up to that point, the sin is mine and mine alone. But when I, whenever I engage in that with someone else, I also cause that person to sin. That's why it is what it is. That's why it's such a big deal. And so then we go on in 30. It says, if your right hand makes you stumble, cut it off and throw it from you. For it is better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than your whole body to go into hell. And we know that's not what he means. He's saying die to self. Very hard thing to do. In 31... It was said, whoever sends his wife away, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except for the reason of unchastity, that's adultery, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Holy moly. I, there's, there's a whole lot to that right there, but we're going to leave it at that for, for today. Okay. Same, it's the same thing on both ends, though. It's infidelity either before or after. And you notice this is only one of the few things you're going to see that's a sin, that your sin actually causes another person to sin. That's, that's, a, that's what makes sexual immorality what it is. Because it's not, it's not just a one-person sin. It's, it, takes, it takes two. <clears throat> so in Mark 10, 1 through 12, Jesus speaks on this again. We're going to, we're going to read that. Mark 10, starting in 1. Getting up, he went from, from there to be to the region of Judea and beyond the Jordan. Crowds gathered him around him again, and according to his custom, he once more began to teach them. Some Pharisee came up to Jesus, testing him, and began to question him whether it was lawful for a man to divorce his wife. And he answered and said to, him, to them, What did Moses command you? 
They said Moses permitted. Now, you hear what it said? Did it say God did? It said Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. But Jesus said to them, because of your hardness of heart, he wrote you this commandment. It was just to placate them because even then, understand Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of the law. He's the fulfillment of this. Even then, God knew that man could not keep his Ten Commandments. So he made concession for man in this right here to where you could write that because he knew that in their heart, there was no way. There's no way possible that they could actually stay together and do what they were supposed to do. He knew that going into this. God knows everything. It says, because of your hardness of heart, he wrote you this commandment. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. In the house, the disciple began questioning him again. So he says, whoever divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery against her. Pretty simple. Other than what did we learn? Other than what? Because of infidelity. All right? And if she herself divorces her husband and marries another man, she is committing adultery. Save for what? Infidelity. That's the only thing that allows you to get out of a marriage. I know people say you shouldn't, get, you shouldn't stay with someone who beats you and all this stuff. And I'm saying that's a secondary issue we can talk about another day. But I'm telling you right now, out of the very mouth of Jesus Christ himself, he says there's one reason that a man or a woman can leave their spouse and it be okay in the eyes of God, and that is what? Stepping out. In this instance, does the Lord want you to stay in a relationship where you're abused? I don't believe he does. But I cannot find in here where he says that. He does not say that specifically. So I cannot teach that. I'm not going to teach that. Because it actually says that if you can stay with that person and that person can stay with you, regardless of the situation that you're in, then it keeps your children holy. And by the way that you live your life before that spouse that is a terrible person, deserving of hell, they may come to know the Lord Jesus Christ by the way you live your life. That's what the Word says. So I, I, there's no other way to put it, guys. I can't make up stuff and just give it to you to make you feel good about your choices and the decisions you've made in your life. Can't do it. Save of infidelity. I can't find it in here. I can't personally find it. If you do, we'll have a conversation about that. I have no problem with that. Matthew 19, 3 through 12 so that's divorce and adultery. That's Jesus in two different places, Sermon on the Mount and in Mark. And in Mark, he elaborates a little more because you know that the Jews are going to go back to what? The Father. They're going to go back to Moses, all the way back to the back. Well, we're, he, he's, our, he's our patriarch. He's the one who started this. He's the one who got the commandments. Yeah, and the only reason that you were allowed to do that is because God knew your heart was hardened and you're evil in all of your ways, unfortunately, so he gave you that. Because if not, then all of Israel would have been... That's what the Word says. If it not be for all the concessions that God has made, we all deserve to be dead right now and going to hell. But he killed his son so that you and I might have eternal life. It's no different for us now on this side of, of Jesus Christ than it was when Christ was still where he should have been and stayed for all of eternity and we should have went to hell. Same difference. Same difference, unfortunately. But thank God for that, because if not, we'd be in a bind. So Matthew 19, 3 through 12, this talks about three pieces. And I like that's why I like this piece of Scripture, because eunuchs are real things. They're still real things today, and some people are born that way. 
So, and some people say, well, if you, if you can't have children, that's one of those things. Well, if, if you're not able to sire children, if you're not able to do this, then you can't have, you can't go to heaven. That's crazy talk. That's crazy. But there are. You look back in the Old Testament, what was the sign that a woman with the Jews, why were those women so upset? Why was Sarah, before she was Sarah, all these, what did they say? Well, they've never thrown off a child. So until they do, that was a disgrace. If a woman could not have a child, that was a disgrace before other people as far as they were concerned. So it's as if God had thrown you away. Because we said this when we started this, every single Jewish woman, what was she hoping to do? Birth who? She was hoping to birth the Messiah. That We learned that in the very beginning because they knew that the Messiah was going to come from a Jewish person. They knew that. So every time that a woman had a baby... She's like, maybe I will, maybe I could have the Messiah, which was the terrible wrong way to think about it, but still that's how we are because we're selfish people. So in 19, 3 through 12, <clears throat> excuse me, it says, Some Pharisee came to Jesus testing him and asking, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any reason at all? So we're, we're getting a little more specific. Like we, we learned in that last one what he said. And he answered and said, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. He's, he quoted the same scripture. I mean, we're looking at the same incident, but here's the thing. Whenever you find something in one gospel, you might find it in most of them in two or three gospels. Read all of the accounts, because here's the thing. The vantage point of the person who was there is different. That doesn't mean that one of them is wrong. What it means is one event could happen in this room. I did not look at the baby as he left. But several of y'all were more intrigued with what was going on with him and laughing because, and that's fine. I don't know what was happening, but y'all saw it and you paid more attention to him, right? It's the same way with this. People saw it in different ways. So if we read every account, we get a whole story. Don't just read one most Bibles will tell you, this one doesn't. I wish my other one does, though. It'll, like, tell you. It'll have a heading, and underneath it, it'll tell you what other books it's in and what verses to read. And as you read the whole thing, you get the whole story because different people see different pieces. So we start over, and we'll go to 6. It says, So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. They said to him, Why did Moses command to give her a certificate of divorce and send her away? He said, Because of your hardness of heart, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning it has not been this way. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for immorality and marries another woman commits adultery. That's the other part. Why do I read different pieces of the word? Because do you notice, is there any discrepancy in it? It's, it is inerrant. There's no errors in the Word of God. So if I can read different accounts in different books and I get the same story, the same thing, that lets me know it proves that it's more real. That's, I've seen a thing this week where a man was seeking to disprove the Bible. And as he read through it and read through it, Brother Scott sent it to me that... He, he proved that it was real, and what's crazy is then he started calculating, because he was an astrophysicist, I think, he calculated how, how the possibility of it being as perfect as it was, and it was more, it was a better possibility, what, that we would get struck by, what was it that he said? Anyway, it was of all the things he's ever calculated, it was the most, the most out there number. It's impossible 
that there wasn't someone who there was intelligent design in this universe. And he, he got saved because he actually dove into it. In 10, <clears throat> excuse me, it says, Then the disciples said to him, If the relationship of the man with his wife is like this, is it not better to marry? Yes. I mean, let's be honest. Paul, Paul had it right. We've all gotten married now. Or we're, we have someone that we love. All right. In instances, especially as you get farther into it, there are a lot of really great moments in our life. But there's also a lot of moments that are not. And here's the other part is at the end of that is where we find ourselves. There's grief for someone, unless you're lucky enough to get killed together. There's always, from good, there's always some negative because if you loved, if you've ever loved, when you lose, it's the other way. Plus, if you're ever called into this, I can't spend every single moment that I have doing the Lord's work because I made a commitment to my wife and my children. Paul didn't have that. Why was Paul what Paul was? Because he didn't have any commitment but to the Lord. There was nobody holding him back, nobody. If the person got sick and was dying, Paul straight left them. He says that in the word in the back. He said, I hung around for a while, but he was nigh to death. But it was time for me to leave, so he drug out. Whenever they went back, him and Barnabas, whenever they broke ways, they didn't agree with each other. He would have rather him went with him, but he said, no, Mark's not going with us. So they broke ways. He had one thing that he was focused on, and that was the Lord. None of us in here can do that. Because we're tied to something else. That's just the way it is. It changes our perception of things. I need for my wife to be happy. I need to do that. I have to do the things, because if I don't take care of my wife and my family, the Word says I'm worse than an infidel. But I'm not as, I'm not, I'm not as useful to God as I was if I were single. And I could just go about doing whatever I wanted to do. So, so then he goes on to say, he says, But he said to them, Not all men can accept this statement, but only those to whom it has been given. Do you see that? To whom it has been given. Those people who don't get married, other than Catholic priests, because they, they take a vow because they believe that's the way it is, but the word is not like that. We can go to... I think it's 1 Timothy chapter 4 when it talks about those that are deceiving. It says there'll be those who come and they'll tell you not to eat meats and not to do whatever, not to marry. Well, that's talking about the Roman Catholic Church. I'm just being honest. All of that's that's the sad part. And in 12, for there are eunuchs who were born that way from their mother's womb. So from their mother's womb, there's people who are born who cannot... Their genitals, either they don't have them, or they don't have the right, or they're, mis they're not made right, they're not formed right, or they have both, a hermaphrodite, and so they really don't function either way. He says, and there are eunuchs who were made eunuchs by men. And that was back in that day, that was the worst of the worst. You captured another people and you castrated the males so that the males could work in your palace or wherever, but you didn't have to worry about them sleeping with your wife. Kind of like with Joseph. Joseph was not castrated. So there was, there, whenever she took his coat, there was, you could say, well, maybe he did do it because he wasn't. But a castrated individual cannot have intercourse any longer. It's just an impossibility. And there are also eunuchs who made themselves eunuchs. So there's people who did that to himself. Why, though? For the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Some people did it. and In other words, they, they abstained completely and totally. Paul. They abstain completely and totally from it. He who is able to accept this, let him accept it. But as for the rest of them, what does it tell us to do? Marry somebody. 
That's what when he's talking to the disciples, because there's there's more than one, more than one account. But it's like he's telling them that, and I, it was Peter. One, it probably was Peter, because he's the one who all he says. Then what are we supposed to do? So you're, what you're saying is it's impossible for. Well, you should get married. You should marry that individual and and be monogamous, not promiscuous. So. In Acts 8 and 27, that's a good one because there's people who say that. That's what I was saying earlier. Y'all, there's so many doctrines out there, guys. Oh, my goodness. Some of the things, Brother Scott finds things, we find things, Ethan finds things, and we have a page that we share it on. Just the ideas that people have, like we were watching a Dateline, that was last night, on the on the prophet over the, the um, LDS and... He, he was horrible. I mean, they their rituals, they would take a girl that was 13, 14 years old, and the ritual for that person to become their wife was to have sex with that individual. But that's how they made it to heaven. And they had actual recordings of it. Man is depraved. I mean, sick, sick people. And the the detectives that were on the show were talking about how sick it made them to listen to what they had to listen to because it was evidence and it was so bad they wouldn't even play it on television. And I want you to think about that. Think about the stuff that you can watch on TV. They would not even speak of how disgusting the stuff is that was said. Yeah, inside of that church, there's an altar built that's a bed and you consummate your marriage in the church, in the holy place, and that's how you make it to heaven. If you don't sleep with the prophet, you don't go to heaven. That's every child, every female that's born into that sect has to sleep with the prophet to go to heaven because he hears directly from God. And you say, well, that, yeah, yeah, that's, that's how depraved man is. We're very fortunate that we're not like that. Acts 8 and 27 says, it's, this is the, the Ethiopian. I don't know if y'all, you may not be familiar, so I'm going to start at 26. It says, but an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip saying, get up and go south to the road that descends from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert road. So he got up and went, and there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. So he's been castrated, and he works for the queen, who was in charge of the treasure. And he had come to Jerusalem to worship, and he was returning and sitting in his chariot and was reading the prophet Isaiah. So he's reading a scroll because there wasn't a text. That's the cool part. Like He's reading from the prophet Isaiah, and it may have just been a little piece of manuscript. I doubt it was the whole book. Then the spirit said to Philip, go up to join this chariot. Philip ran and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and said, do you understand what you are reading? And he said, well, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of scripture which he was reading was this. He was led as, he was led as sheep to slaughter and as a lamb before it shears is silent. So he does not open his mouth. In humiliation, his judgment was taken away. Who will relate his generation? For his life is removed from the earth. We're talking about Christ. The eunuch answered Philip and said, Please tell me of whom does the prophet say? Of himself or, or of someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he preached Jesus to him. And they went along the road. They went along the road. They came to some water. And the eunuch said, Look, water. What prevents me from being baptized? And Philip said, If you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he ordered, he ordered the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip as well as the eunuch, and he baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away, and the eunuch no longer saw him, but he went on his way rejoicing. 
Now, that's amazing. Like just the, the whole story, the scenario of how it worked, that's really amazing. But that I read that for this purpose. When we, when we cover these things that Jesus says, there are people who say that that man cannot be saved. And that's not true, y'all. The Word of God says that it, it's, it's not impossible for God. So that means every single person has the opportunity to be what? To be saved. Now, will you be saved? I have no clue. Thank God that is not my business. Because I, I, I watched a Senate hearing on that very thing this week, and it was a House bill like 118 in Arkansas, and they were trying to stop stop the um, them from being able to seek like penalties on the doctors that did the changes after the person decided that they wanted to go back to the way they were. Because here's the thing, you can only have that surgery one time. You can't go back after that because they have to radically change your genitalia so much that it's a one-way thing. So once that person gets on the other side and they realize I don't want to, and like Brother Scott said, there's churches, there's people out there who say they can't be saved now because they're not what God created them as. They've changed that. That is not true. That is not true. Yes, that they'll never be what they were. And they can't be, and truth be known as it looks like it, you can't be paired up with anybody else unless you have someone who's accepting of that. But that's just, a, that's an odd place. That's why we shouldn't mess with what God did. He made them, we read it twice, He made them what? Male and female. That's why we don't mess with those things. But that's why I wanted to bring it up because it, it is an issue. It's a pretty big issue. And it, as this thing is going along, it's just going to get worse. Because it says the days are just going to get more and more wicked, which we see. Ephesians chapter 5. I apologize for this, but uh, we gotta go. We got to go back to Ephesians. I know we spent a year in Ephesians, it felt like, or maybe it really was. It was a year. Um, but we, got, we have to go look at this because, and Lord, I don't even like this. I don't like any of this. I'm just being quite honest with you. It's not the topic that I choose to be on, but this is the thing that we decided as we prayed and we were seeking God here when everything was changed is we're going to teach the Word of God as the Word of God comes and we're not skipping over anything. It would have been real easy to move over those two things and just catch the next one. But that's not the way the Bible is. That's not the way the Bible reads. So we're going to do it line by line, precept by precept, no matter how bad it hurts. So... Be subject to one another. That's what this is fixing to be about, what we're talking about. Marriage is like Christ in the church. Marriage is the one thing that you have that can be like Christ in the church. Your marriage can be like being in the Garden of Eden. That's the only place in your life where you actually can get back to the way it should be. There's no other aspect of your life that will be like that because you don't, you don't have control over that. But if you subject yourself to your spouse and your spouse to you, you can have harmony. But that doesn't happen. But maybe you know, 10, 15% of the time. The rest of the time it's just self, self, self. Myself included. Self. Wives, be subject to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church. He himself being the Savior of the body. But as the church is is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. And I remember teaching that, and then the men would go, oh, yeah, yeah, but here's the thing. That's simple. That is simple. Now, husband, your wife has one obligation, it says, and that's to be subject to you. 
And if you're the husband that we're fixing to talk about, that should not be a problem. Save for the fact once we get there, Genesis 3 and 16 says that until you actually surrender yourself fully to God in the spirit, you're going to be against your husband your whole entire marriage because that's the way it is now. That, that's a whole other thing, but we'll get to that in a minute. In 25, it says, Husbands, love your wives just, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. You die every single day. You die to yourself. You die to your passions, your lusts, your desires, your needs because your wife is like the church to Christ and he died for it. That's pretty, pretty heavy. So that he might sanctify her. Why did Christ die? To sanctify his church. Why do we die? So that our, we have sanctity in our marriage. Because here's the thing, we've saw the statistics, and I can't quote them seamlessly like I should be able to, but we know that whenever, when the mom gets saved in a household, it's a small percentage that the rest of the household gets saved. When the child, it's even smaller, but when the father gets saved and lives a Christian life, it's like almost 90-something, it's in the 90s, that the whole entire family will be saved because the man sets the precedent. Why? Who said that? Not Brother Matt, not the government, but Jesus himself, God, said that, the, that we are subject to him and the woman is subject to the man. And if we live that out the way we're supposed to, salvation comes from that. So it says, cleanse her by the washing of water with the word. Why do I stay in the word? Why do I live a godly life? Because then my wife doesn't have as many instances to be mad at me. Because the reality is, is we're male and female, but we mess up just as women do. My wife gets irked about things because she's asked me 147 times not to do it. And if I do it, she's going to be mad at me. And you know what the sad thing is? Half the time I know that she's going to get mad at me, but I just want to do it so bad. It's like, it's, and it's, you get what I'm saying? Like, it's, you just poke, 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 poke. Oh, I say her name over and over, or I do something because I want her attention. But there's other ways to get someone's attention than to aggravate them, especially doing the things that you know not to do. And I know not to do those things. But, and when I do them, then I get upset because she's mad at me. Uh, but, but she's told me a bunch of times, please don't do that. Would you please not do that? So then he says, by the watching of the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and blameless. I'm not supposed to, and we could go to it, the word says what? I'm not supposed to provoke anybody. It says not to provoke my children to wrath. I shouldn't tease my children or make my children mad intentionally, but I shouldn't do the same for my wife. And I've lived with this person long enough to know what makes them mad. Shouldn't, should, should not do that kind of stuff. Still do. That's that's the man. That's the humanity inside of us that we haven't died. So husbands ought also to love their own wives as their own bodies. Well, how, how do you love your body? How do you take care of your body? You're supposed to at least love your wife as much as you love your body. He who loves his own wife loves himself. You don't love your wife right. You do not love yourself. That's what the Word just said. Hmm. For no one ever hated his own flesh but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ also does the church, because we are members of his body. For this reason, a man shall leave his father. We're back what Jesus said twice. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is great, but I am speaking with reference to Christ and the church. Nevertheless, listen, nevertheless, each individual among you, where this is us right here, also is to love his own wife even as himself, and the wife must see to it that she respects her husband. Now what does that look like? I don't know. 
I've never been a woman. But I do know but I do know this. I do know that before I was saved, my wife should not have respected me ever. And yet she did at times because I was a horrible person. And I was disrespectful to her. Like, you need to be a man that needs to be respected. I'm just being honest. I mean, I'm not saying that she doesn't have the right not to respect me because the Word of God just said she should respect me either way. But it's really a lot easier whenever you're a res when you live a respectful life. It makes it easier to be subject to one another. Because here's the truth is, if I love my wife like Christ loved the church and died for it, there, I, this is the reality of it. There's not one of us physically right now that wouldn't die for one another and our family. Chad's proved it by going several times. But there is not one member of his family, his wife, his kids, that he wouldn't physically die for. But yet we refuse spiritually to die to ourselves, And that's what he's trying to say right here. Because guess what, guys? That's a lot harder to do. Uh, jump in front of a bullet, push somebody out of the way of a vehicle, because there's a chance I might live. People live through things. I mean, there's some horrific things that have happened to people, and they live. He's not saying that. He's saying die to yourself. And that is extremely hard. It is extremely hard to die to self. Because when I get mad, I want to be mad. Whenever I get upset, I want to be upset. And I can validate that. Every single time it happens, I promise you, I can validate it. But 3 and 16 of Genesis gives us, I don't know why it had to be the way it is, other than the apple and the snake and the devil and everything else. But I'm going to read the definition of this before I read it. Because it does not sound like what it actually implies. Genesis 3.16, the word for, is 413 in the, in the Old Testament in Hebrew. It's where the motion or direction implied appears from the context to be of a hostile character. It is not a positive thing. Now understand, this is, this is God telling you this is what it's going to be. It's not, well, it might be that way. This is God himself cursing woman. He curses man too, but he cursed woman. To the woman he said, I will greatly multiply your pain in childbirth. And if you were here Tuesday night, we've already figured a way not to have to do that. We've already usurped his word in that way, but we, we agreed collectively it's not a sin. God gives us things because he wants us to enjoy life. I would think that not having to feel a child being birthed from your loins would be a good way to have pleasure in your life. That sounds like a horrible thing. In pain you will bring forth children, Yet your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. But that desire is not a positive desire. Okay, it's a, it's a fight. I'm a woman. What's the one thing women can do that men can't? They can bear children. What makes a woman more special than any anything else that's been created? They can produce life. A woman does not have to have a man to produce life anymore because there's artificial insemination. But you cannot, cannot have life without a woman. It's an impossibility. They have yet to clone a human being and that human being become a true, real human being. You have to have a woman. You must have a womb. That makes a woman very important. So women have this. And not that they hold it over everybody. But that's the reality of it. They do have something that you and I don't have, is that ability. And for some reason or another, whenever the Lord said this, he says, you will be against your husband. You're going to butt heads, but he's going to rule over you. 
And if you don't concede to that, if you don't subject yourself, that's why I read Ephesians first, because it makes it sound like, well, I just have to do whatever. That's the, let's go back to Ephesians. You should bring, especially in your marriage, go back to Ephesians. Read what it says. A man who dies to himself is a man that should be respected. But the word didn't say that the man had to die to himself. It just said that you should respect your husband. And I will say this, as I, I put this the other day. We live in a society now, sadly, that if a man is sad or a man is like most people are, you're weak. That's the reality of it. You're a man. Be a man. How many times have you heard that in your life? Be a man. No, guess what, ladies? Men have the same emotions and feelings and everything that you do. And you're subjected to things and you're put into places. But you know what? You can't not be a man because you're the head of your family. So I can't, I can't just fall out sideways in the floor. I can't cry. I can't go see a therapist. I can't get on medicine because that wouldn't make me a man. That's foolishness. Men want to be, you know what's the greatest thing to, to hear? Is just that your wife appreciates you. Appreciates you. For what? I don't know. Maybe for last night, hanging the clothes that were in the washing machine. She forgot and I hung them. I didn't do that because I wanted a, a reward or a Snickers bar or something. I did it because I knew it's what was right and I knew she had forgotten. But I know the last six weeks what she's done to help me get to this point where I'm sitting in front of you. A lot. I know the times before when I had a polynidal cyst removed and, and for five, six, seven, eight weeks, she would put stuff in my body and pull that nasty stuff out and pack it back again. Nobody else did that for me, but she did. In those moments, that's what you need to think back to. I can't imagine my life without someone who can help me that way because I don't want anybody else to know the intimacies of my body like I want my wife she doesn't want to know them either. But I have somebody who is familiar with it who can help me. You get what I'm saying? But you have back surgery. You can't do everything that you did before. You need help now. Who do you want doing that? I, I want my wife doing it. The person who knows me. First, yep. First, First Corinthians chapter 7, 1 through 11. And, and I, I'm only reading this. <laughs> I am not reading this because this is what you need to go by. I believe in fully giving you every piece of information because the word just said before that we are to be subject to one another. And what they're trying to say in here is, is when you're subject to one another in your marriage, you don't leave an opportunity for Satan to cause the lust that goes brings about adultery and infidelity. They're just being honest. So don't take this as I'm, anyway, I'm reading the word of God. Now concerning the things about which you wrote, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. Oh, Paul, is a, he's right on it. He's like, the best thing for you to do is stay away from it. Stay away from the woman. And I agree. I mean, and looking back on it now, I love my children. I, I, my life is good. But it brings a lot of terrible things into your life. It just really does. Thankfully, the good outweigh the bad, right? She don't beat me and hit me and cuss me and push me down whenever I can't walk right or whatever. So that's a positive thing. But because of immoralities, each man is to have his own wife and each woman is to have her own husband. The husband must fulfill his duty to his wife and likewise also the wife to her husband. Guys, that's talking about sexual relations. That's the duty that you have. When you entered into this marriage contract, and I realize that as you get older, things don't work anymore. 
That's just a reality. I'm just being honest with you. you your body starts breaking down. Your desire changes. It's not lust anymore. Lust burns. You burn with desire with that, right? But men and women, they have intimacy is different for men and for women. And how you go about that is different. And as you age, that's going to change. But then he goes on and says this. The wife does not have the authority over her body, but the husband does. And likewise, also the husband does not have an authority over his wife, his body, but the wife does. We're back to subjecting ourselves to one another, but in a sexual manner. This, this in the Bible covers every single topic that you could ever think about. Whether you want to know about it or not, it's in here. And there's an answer, but most people don't want that answer because they want to do what they want to do. Stop depriving one another except by agreement for a time so that you may devote yourselves to prayer and come together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Oh, okay. But this I say by way of concession, not a commandment, yet I wish that all men were even as I, am, as, as my, I myself am. However, each man has his own gift from God, one in this manner and another in that manner. But I say to the unmarried and to the widows that it is a good for them to remain even as I. But if they do not have self-control, let them marry. For it is better to marry than to burn with passion. But to the married I give instructions, not I but the Lord now, that the wife should not leave her husband, but if she leaves she must remain unmarried, or else be reconciled to her husband. Wow. And that the husband should not divorce his wife. But to the rest I say, not to the Lord, that if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, he must not divorce her. And a woman who has an unbelieving husband and he consents to live with her, she must, she must not send her husband away. For the unbelieving husband is sanctified through his wife, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified through her believing husband, for otherwise your children are unclean, but now they are holy. That's crazy. Like breaking that down to understanding what that means... But here's the thing is, being subject to one another means, that doesn't mean that um, you have to do everything in every way that someone requires you to do in a sexual manner. That's not what he's trying to say. He's trying to say, don't deprive someone of something that is essential to life. I've explained it this way. If I would like to have intercourse with my wife and she won't, her favorite thing in the world is chocolate. But here's the thing, if I take all the chocolate and put it in the, in the cabinet, and the only time she can have chocolate is when I decide, she's eventually going to be mad at me. Because if I withhold chocolate for a week, two, three, four, a month, who's withholding it? And it breeds animosity. I'm just being honest. In your marriage, it breeds animosity because you have control. You cannot step outside of your marriage because the Word just said we can't do that. But I married someone so that I could have that type of relationship with it, with that individual. And then whenever I can't, they don't expect me to be upset about it. That's not reality. But then it goes back to what does the word say? We, got, we always have to go back. And I don't want to go back because my flesh wants what it wants and yours does too. But I've got to bring it back to Ephesians chapter 5. And I've got to die to myself like Christ died for the church and I've got to love my wife either way. It's not like a if I get what I want in any part of my marriage, then I'll love my wife. But if I don't, I'm not. That's not what it said. That is not what it said. And it helps buy a big bag of chocolate. Big bag of chocolate. So, all right. Father, we thank you again for another time to be in your word, God. 
Be with us as we go into the sanctuary, Lord, as we worship you in spirit and truth. Sing songs to you, Father, and listen to the word. Let it be ingrained into who we are, God, so that we might not sin against you. Father, let that word dwell inside of us, God, and, and in the coming week, Lord, give us opportunities to, to let other people know who you are and how you are. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.